Coming Up is a podcast brought to you by the dedicated and diverse volunteers at 3CR. Just a quick message before you get there. For the month of June, we're asking listeners to donate to the station to help us keep going. In 2023, we're asking our community to stay tuned, stay radical. We rely on the generous donations of community to survive. Go to 3cr.org.au slash donate and show your support for community-owned and community-run media. Thanks for your support and happy listening. Now that heart is beating fast And that's the rhythm I can dance to I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to That one big heart that's beating fast Tomorrow morning let it rain Tomorrow morning let it pour Tonight we're in the groove together Ain't gonna worry about Stormy Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out all trouble on the drum. Beat out all trouble on the drum. Beat out all trouble on the drum. And kick all trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. And kick all trouble out the door. Kick him out the door. Kick him out the door. Well, 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 it's Radical Australia. We've actually got a guest. Kelly Whitworth, the world's greatest producer, put her hand in the snow, Snowtown barrel and pulled out a guest. Now, the thing is that next week is a radio fun week. We need to raise two... Are you all right there, young lady? Did you fall off your perch, world's greatest producer? Uh, are you going to come in with... with, with <laughs> I can't believe these young people. What's wrong with you, Kelly? Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, don't be sorry. Are you injured? That's what I no, want to know. Do you need mouth-to-mouth? <laughs> no, all External good. cardiac massage? No, all good. Oh, Donna, you must good. think this is a madhouse. I got your mic on now, now Donna. Now, we have an extraordinary guest because Kelly picks them. She doesn't trust me to pick guests. It's Donna Stolzenberg. Did I get that right? You did get that right, yes. Yeah. No superfluous tea. <laughs> no superfluous tea. <laughs> yeah, it's just when Kelly told me about five minutes before we met your name, because that's how we I work. told you this morning. Yeah, but I forgot. I'm, I'm demented. You, for, you forgot that. You yeah. that, you're, that you're demented. That's yes. right, that I forget. I've got a bad short-term memory. What was your name again, Donna? <laughs> so, look, it's 56 minutes. It's all about you. Not about me. Not about Kelly. Not about... The people in the front desk, it's about you. All about me. Yep. And if you don't want to answer a question, just be a, give us a political answer. <laughs> Evade it, okay? I'll try. It's very <laughs> simple. Donna, what year were you born? I was born in 1968. You're just a relative youngster. 68, the year of revolution. Mm. When I was throwing Molotov cocktails, you were born. <laughs> That's extraordinary, young lady. It was a great year, I'm told. So I'm told. Oh, it was a brilliant year, brilliant year, all over the Western world and the Eastern world. Brilliant year. 68. Where were you born? I was born in Kalgoorlie in Western Australia. Mm. I think that's a first. I don't think we've had on a this ca- show. Well, since you've been here, Gold mine. since I've been here. 
Yeah, no, it's more than a gold mine in town, Kalgoorlie. I've been, been there. There's a lot of mixing goes on in Kalgoorlie, you know. A lot, lot of mixing. mixing. A lot of mixing amongst different people of different mm. racial origins, different colours, different religions. Diversity. You call it diversity. I just call it strange. <laughs> if you wanted to run away in the good old days, you'd go to Kalgoorlie. I think they still do. Yeah. Is he being disrespectful no, I'm here, not. Donna? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> no, no. People, people love from Kalgoorlie. They love to be different. They love to be different. They love Do they? They don't, because they are different, aren't they? I don't know that Kalgoorlie has as many of the uh, the the old regulars there anymore. I think mm, because mm. a lot of the mining towns now, a lot of people are FIFO coming in and out oh, of Cal. Right. So there's not as many people who were born there in, you know, I grew up there. I, I was born in Kalgoorlie. I left when I was about three. We, we were mm. in Canberra for a while. But then I went back when I was a teenager up hang until... On, hang on, hang on, I'm a bit confused. You went from Kalgoorlie to Canberra. To Canberra, At yeah. age three. I was three, yeah. Obviously three. you didn't have any say in the matter. I wasn't hitchhiking, no. No, your parents <laughs> took you there, did they? They did, yeah. yeah. Are yeah. they still alive? My mother is still alive, yeah. My mm. father passed away about six years ago. Right. What type of parents? Well, you can't say anything bad about your mother, but your dad's not here. <laughs> they were great parents, yeah. we. Um, my dad passed away, um, yeah, six years ago. But, mm. um, yeah, we had, a good, we had a good childhood. Yeah, it was oh. a lot of fun. I've got three older sisters and... Uh, you were never alone. Mm-hmm. You never, <laughs> never alone. <laughs> yeah, even if you wanted to be, there was well, always you, someone there. Did you top and tail? Nah, nah. nah, nah. We, but there were bunks. You know, there were bunks. we we lived yeah. in community housing um, for a me. lot of it. Community housing. Yeah. Why would you be living in community housing? because oh, it was safe. It was nice. It was what my parents could afford. And yeah, that's okay. well, explain there. to us what community housing is. Well, community housing is government housing. Right. So, so it's, it's public yeah, housing. Yeah, it's public yeah. housing. Um, there's mm. there's different forms of it depending on what state you're living in. That's right. And um, you know that was when I'm thinking back to then being in Canberra. That was a long time ago. As I said, I went back there when I was mm. about three years old. Mm. And um, we, I lived there until I was 12, and then we moved back to WA. Let's, let's get back to this Canberra business. What Did your father work for the CIA or something? He may have, but he, he didn't tell have. me. No, no. So <laughs> he didn't tell me. What, what was he was moonlighting job? as a fencing contractor. Oh, right, in Canberra. <laughs> yeah, in Canberra. So, yeah, he was a fencing contractor. So, in Canberra? Yeah, domestic fencing. So, in Canberra. Cam- Canberra was growing, so yeah, yeah. they had a lot of new suburbs coming up at that mm, time, mm. and my dad used to go and build all the fences. Sounds a bit suspicious them. to me. Yeah, I reckon he might have been a CIA yeah, agent. Yeah. Yeah. CIA, that's an American thing, right? Yeah, but, yeah, but you never know. The no, tricky. no, like, she doesn't know. She's apolitical. <laughs> She's got no idea. They're up down there in Darwin and, you know, Alice Springs and Pine Gap, you know. Fair enough. Just be patient, Kelly. <laughs> so, and Mum? My mum. My mum is in Mandurah at the right. moment in Western mm. Australia. Yeah. Been there. Yeah. I used to live there in Mandurah too. Mm. I've lived in many places. We, we might need more than an hour. Well, I'll tell you something. When we've got interesting guests, we bring them in for a second hour oh, and occasionally go. for a third hour. But the key word is interesting. <laughs> 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 Not just me extrapolating this story and drawing it out. <laughs> exactly. So why go back? The fencing ran out of contracts. I'm really not sure, to be honest. I mean, when we left, I was 12, and mm. but 
my entire family were from Western Australia and so right. were my dad's. We didn't have family in Canberra. Right. We had one uncle who'd moved to Sydney for a little bit, but he mm. ended up back in Western Australia. Mm. So I think my parents, they just sort of did their tenure there and decided to go back to family. It had been quite a while. Mm. Um, when we moved to Canberra, it was shortly after my younger brother passed away. So there may have been something in that. I'm not really right. sure. But we moved back to Western Australia when I was 12. And uh, my parents stayed there. And so when yeah. you say your younger brother passed away, was it a, a an accident or cancer? Or? It was uh, SIDS. Right, yeah. SIDS. Yeah, he passed away from SIDS when he was uh, almost four months of age. Four months yeah. of age. First boy, and they had four girls and then a boy. boy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so very how old tragic. were you then? I would have been almost two. He passed two, away on right. my sister's birthday. Right. Uh, on Valentine's Day, and I turned two a month after. A month after. Mm. Mm, it is a devastating thing to happen to any family. Very much so, it yeah. Is so. When you, you use the word family all the time. You know, most people run away from their family. <laughs> Why did your people go back to the, their family? What, what, what are you trying to tell me? Look, I, I don't know. I think that in, in like, I'm 55 and in my, like, in my youth, family was all we had. We had no internet. We had no mobile phones. I come from... A family that has a lot of cousins. We're an Indigenous family on my mum's side, and we were just always really close, very close knit family. So my mum missed her brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. and um, she missed her nieces and nephews. And when we went back, it was one big continuous family reunion, really. Right. And uh, right. we're still, you know, very close to cousins today. Right. Cousins, like in our family, aunts and uncles and cousins they just become an extension of your family and i remember spending weekends with my aunts and uncles it was just where was i going this weekend just you just pick a place and just pick go, a place, there. go there yeah, yeah it was it was really good i have a lot of fond memories of how did your dad cope with all this all this extended family yeah look, he was a really he was all right, really good with it he came from a family of four boys oh, so right. um, right. so he came four from, boys and then he had four girls yeah yeah, yeah and then i had four i had five boys yeah. So yeah, it's it was called like, nature, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And your yeah. kids will have five girls. That's well, that's what I'm goes. thinking. One of them's yeah. going to have all girls, but yeah. yeah. So my dad came from a family of four boys. Mm. Uh, they had four girls. I had five boys. Right. Um, but yeah, dad. Uh, my mum and dad met when they were really young. I think my mum was about twelve or thirteen, and they were just sort of friends. My mum used right. to sing on mm. the local radio station. Right. Oh, and in Kalgoorlie. In Kalgoorlie, yeah, six kg. Long, long time ago. Do you sing? Radio. No. Oh my goodness, no. I'd I was going to ask you to sung. sing. Lordy, no, don't do no, that. No, no. You'd, no, you'd get complaints. No, People would write no, in sternly no, worded okay. letters. All right, so <laughs> it must have been a bit of a, a bit of a bit dislocation at age twelve to leave all your friends in Canberra and come back to Kalgoorlie. It wasn't really because I was closer to family than friends. I had a lot of friends, but being twelve, you're adaptable. Kids, no. kids adapt so easy. So as soon as I was over in Western Australia, the first place we went to was Esperance in Western Australia. And it was seen sort of a house full of cousins there. So mm. you, it didn't take long to adjust. Mm. And, um, yeah, it was, it was fine. It was just like you're back with this extended family. And, you know, that was so long ago now. I haven't mm. really thought about that in a long time. No. I did go back to Canberra and see my old school, though, at one point. Yeah. People do that. Was it still there? It was when I went there about 20 years ago. Right. <laughs> I went to my primary school and it's been knocked down. It's really oh, sad. sad. I love that like it, yeah. it's only in your memory now. It doesn't actually physically exist anymore. Yeah, I think well, mine's there, but it's not a school anymore. From memory, I'm not not 100 percent sure. Yeah, well, Kelly, I understand why yours was knocked down. 
Oh, why is that, Joe? Because you're such a brilliant student. So they knocked it down. Knocked it down as a memorial to you. <laughs> oh, I'm not, that doesn't make any sense. Oh, there's a statue of you there. Oh, there's a statue. I didn't see When that. I chatted to you a few years ago, you told me about the statue. Oh, I forgot about it. <laughs> right. Now, um, where'd you go to high school? I went to Eastern Goldfields High School in Kalgoorlie. Right. Mm. What's that like? It was tough because prior to that, and my parents moved around a little bit, so we mm. went to Esperance, but then we moved to Laverton in Western Australia. Laverton, not Laverton. It's a different pronunciation. And we were there for about two years, I think, and then we moved to Kalgoorlie, and that was – so I started high school in Laverton, mm-hmm. and there were four kids in my entire year. Four? Four in my entire year, yeah, because it was just a tiny little mining town then. Right. And I think we had about, it was probably about 10 high school kids. There was no year 11 and 12 there. And then my parents moved back to Kalgoorlie at the start of year 10. So that was an adjustment. Going from doing year 8 and 9 in such a tiny school where the teachers all knew your parents because they'd all hang out at the pub together after work. Oh, it's disgusting. <laughs> you couldn't get away with anything. That's disgusting. And then we moved to Kalgoorlie and I was sort of thrust into this environment where there were 30 kids 30 different kids in every class, in my English class, my math class, my science class, 30 different kids and different teachers, and it was it was pretty tough. So I only did year 10 and then I left. You left? Mm. What? That's a great career move. Well, year 11 and 12 wasn't compulsory back then. Right. And really, I think year 11 and 12, they only had like secretarial school for girls and that wasn't me. Ah, the good old days. There was no university in no. Kalgoorlie back then. No, not then. Yeah. they got one now, have they? Yeah, I think they do. I, I think can't they do. Oh, wow. It. Yeah. There was no yeah. uni- Everyone had to go to Perth if you wanted yeah. to go to uni. How can you escape to a place where there's a university? I mean, I think Kalgoorlie, nobody runs, runs away to Kalgoorlie anymore, do they? No, I don't think Maybe so. Maybe Coolgardie? Oh, Coolgardie. Gosh, I drove through there <laughs> about, oh, when was it? Uh, late November. My yeah. husband and I drove from Melbourne yep. all the way to Perth. Brilliant. And we went through Kalgoorlie. My father and my little brother are both buried in Kalgoorlie, mm-hmm. so we stopped in there for a couple of days to right. go and go and pay our respects to them. Mm-hmm. And we drove through Coolgardie. Yeah. And what did you think? Oh, it's the same as when it was exactly, last Exactly, isn't it? It's, it's fascinating, fascinating isn't it? This place, blinking you miss it. What is it? it? Well, many, many years ago, my mum lived in Coolgardie. It's a little town just mm. outside of Kalgoorlie, I think about 35 yeah, k's yeah. out. And it used to be one of the central gold mining towns uh, back in its heyday, but then Kalgoorlie sort of took over and Coolgardie sort of became nothing more really than um, a pub, yeah. pub or two, mm. and it was just more like a truck stop now yeah, for people. And no offence to anyone from Coolgardie listening to this, but that's what it sort of looks like now. It doesn't mm. have a lot of industry or anything around it Why anymore. is it so infamous? It's not infamous. How come you both were like, oh, cool guardian? Well, like, it's the type of place you'd run away to. But why? Because maybe you had debts. Maybe you want to get away from your partner. There's nothing there. That's what I'm not maybe getting. B- there used to be, though. Oh, there used yeah, to be. It, it used to be big, pretty big. It was yeah. a big town. Like now, strippers and all that stuff. Uh, all we wouldn't mean? know those I was things. very young when I was there, so, so we, I don't know about we that. We don't know. It's the type of place you'd run away to because nobody could find you. Mm. But it is famous for one thing, which obviously Kelly doesn't know. I'm not sure what you're referring and, and to. Donna doesn't know either. No. Only cool you know. Guardy safe. God, he's safe. I'm not familiar with this one. Early refrigeration? Nope. No. Not ringing a bell. 
I can't believe you two. No. You must be youngsters. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Too young for this Everybody story. Everybody had a Coolgardie safe oh. before refrigeration. Oh, for the ice bricks. It yes, had yes. Chunks of ice in there. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to say there was like a heist or something and someone stole some money out of a safe. <laughs> they used to steal gold bars <laughs> with from their horse. Run off yeah. with it. <laughs> All right. So uh, you mentioned a husband. When did, when did, when did that happen? <laughs> when did that happen? I mean, you just threw to the conversation. My husband. We drove through Gilgarty yes, in November. Oh, life yeah. outside the studio. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, we drove through. Um, so, my, yeah, my husband, we've been married for uh, it'd be 21 years. 21 yeah, years. Yeah, well, we got married in 2002. So October will be 21 years. You're pretty old. Congrats. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> We're still going <laughs> strong, so that's, that's good. 33. What's that? You were 33. Um, I think, yeah, probably about that. I think He's four years younger than me. I think uh, he, he was 30, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah tr- cradle yeah. snatcher. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we won't, we won't talk about that. And um, so what was your first job? My first job was in the Kalgoorlie Bakery. I worked in the accounts for the bakery. I wasn't a baker. I worked mm. actually during the day when all the bakers were sleeping. Mm-hmm. And I did sort of basic orders. So the local restaurants or shops would ring up and put their orders in. So I'd take their orders and then another girl did the accounts and then I would send the accounts out and, and receive them and put them into. We used to actually go down to the bank with cash. Yeah, I know. Back then, uh. nothing was digital. And um, so, yeah, that was my very first job. Mm-hmm. And um, gosh, what did I work? I think I worked at Coles as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did, had a Thursday night, Saturday job at Coles. On the registers? Yeah, I was on the register. Back then, you used to have to press the number in. It was like a button and you press the, the scanners. <laughs> way before the scanners. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when the scanners came yeah. out. Yeah. It was like voodoo. It was like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, what is this? And yeah, so I worked at uh, the Calgary Bakery and then Coles. And that then did you move job. on? From there, after that, I had my first son. So mm-hmm. I was a very young mum. I had right. my first son when I was 17. And, um, yeah, we kind of grew up together and I was that very lucky that I had such a close family. How difficult was it? Family was... Family was huge support mm, at right. that time. I lived with my parents right. and my mum had my sister when she was young and, mm. like, there was a lot of young mums in our family, so it was right. nothing new. Yeah. You know, you didn't sort of stand out at all. And, mm. uh, yeah, my parents um, helped out right. quite a bit. So at that stage I still had two sisters living at home. My older sister had gotten married and had a baby. And, uh, yeah, so I had my son and then I think it was when he was about three or four we moved to Perth from there. What's your son called? Chris. Christopher. He sadly passed away last year. Right. Um, very suddenly in July. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we grew up together and um, we were really good friends right up until the end, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's very difficult. My, my wife passed away six years ago and uh, obviously it's nothing like losing a son. And, uh, it's still hard, though. It's yeah. Still, yeah, but you know, losing a son is exceptionally difficult because you expect that you outlive our children, outlive you, and when they die suddenly, it's just, just, it's just horror. Exactly, Total horror. it yeah. is one of those things that you you don't think will happen to you. But I mean, no mm. one wants to dwell on that anyway. You know, no one wants to sit there and think, "Will it be me? Will it happen to me?" We just mm-hmm. don't. It's a fleeting thought. We hope it doesn't happen, and mm-hmm. when it does, you know, you're in disbelief and shock for mm-hmm. for quite a while before you, you know, sort of sinks in that it's real. Yeah. You're not waking up from this nightmare. That's right. Our uh, condolences. Thank you. Mm. It's an exceptionally difficult situation to be in. And the, the other four boys are all right? 
Yeah, they're really good. So um, my second eldest son, he lives in Perth as well. So Chris, my son, was living in Perth, one of the reasons that we drove over. And um, he had two children. His partner was pregnant when he passed away and she's since had their daughter, Mm -hmm. um, baby Evelyn. uh, She was born in January. Healthy and looks the image of her dad. She's just so sweet. And my second elder son lives in Perth as well um, with his, um, yeah, I was going to say with his partner, but they don't actually live together. And the other three boys, I've got a 19-year-old who's currently at uni and a 17-year-old doing year 12. And our youngest boy, Jay, is um, uh, f- nearly 15. He's 15 next month and he has autism and um, intellectual disability and goes to a special school. Right. So, yeah. uh, the, the three youngest in Melbourne with yes. you, are they? Yeah, right. they're in Melbourne. The oldest two were in Melbourne as well, but when they got older, mm. they went back to uh, it tends Australia. to happen. I've got a stepdaughter. She went back to uh, Brisbane as she got older because that's where she was brought up. It yeah, ten- so it tends calls to happen. Back, yeah. yeah, people get called back. So, when did you leave Kalgoorlie? When did I leave? Well, Chris was about three, so I would have mm. been about twenty, twenty-one, around mm. about that, I think. And yeah, I moved to Perth, and I stayed in Perth until I met my husband. Um, we met on the phone, funny enough. Excuse me, was yeah. he trying to sell you something? He wasn't, actually. It was, it was one of those <laughs> things. Tell us, tell us, tell it, us. It was one of those things where it was like, you know, if you believe in the universe having a grand plan, well, that was mm. it. Mm. Because uh, we had a mutual friend. And my husband used to, part of his job, um, he works in internet security, and part of his job back then, because the internet was just becoming a household thing. People didn't, not everyone had computers, but they were starting to. So part of my husband's job was to train detectives, the so people who were doing their detective training in Goulburn and um, in other capital cities. His job was to train them on how to detect internet crime. So if someone received an email saying, you know, I'm going to kill you, and then the <laughs> person was found dead, he would teach them how to trace back, you trace know, the back. IP address and uh, things like that, uh, all those buzzwords. What buzz year are we then. talking about? What years? Year 2000 yeah, was when we met, yeah. The, the very beginning. Because yeah. 99, that's when people started to use it. Yeah. Because we yep. started to use it in 99, I remember, 98, 99, and then it was... Huge. Yeah. We didn't understand. They how. started selling them in packages, and you get all these CDs with them, and That's you'd have right. encyclopedias, right. and none of us yeah. knew how to use them. Yeah. And so my husband was travelling from city to city as part right. of his yeah. job. Well, how come he rang you up? What's going on? He didn't ring me. That's you rang him. No, no, no. I was actually we actually had a mutual friend. You got to let me tell the story. Yeah, what's well, right? I, I want you to come to the point. That's what I'm asking you. We yeah. had a mutual friend, and yeah. uh, I was at her place. She was leaving mm. Perth to move to Melbourne. And he rang her just to see how she was going. Because often when he would come to Perth, he would stay at her place when he was doing his, his um, training um, courses there. Anyway, she literally said to him, I'm too busy to talk to you. Talk to my friend. Handed me the phone. I spoke to him for about two or three minutes. Didn't know this guy hung up. Anyway, when she moved to Melbourne, I called her to see how she was settling in. And she said, hey, you remember my friend Glenn? You spoke to him. He's here because he was in Melbourne. Yep. And handed me the phone, and I think we hung up. It would have been about four hours later. Four oh, hours. Yeah, seriously. Later. Yeah. yeah, and we actually we literally fell in love on the phone, and we didn't know what each other looked like because back then it take you like four hours to send a photo across the what, internet. What was it like when you first met? It was so funny because he was actually from Sydney, and yeah. um, so eventually, like against all of my better judgment, I ended up flying over to Sydney, meeting this stranger that I'd met on the internet, but we had a mutual friend and I knew her really well and she was like, he's a good guy, he's safe. And so I flew over to Sydney to meet my now husband and he didn't show up. 
So what? Yeah. What? I got off the plane, nervous as hell because it's Sydney. Like I'm at this stage, I was living on Rottnest Island, yeah. like running the childcare centre over yeah, there. With so the bloody tiny with the quokkas. Ro- yeah, with the little rodents. Yeah, yeah. They, they're all right. They're okay. Just don't feed the quokkas, please, tourists. Uh, don't uh, feed them. Uh, so he, he didn't turn up. No, he didn't turn up. So I got off the plane and he wasn't there. And I'm just standing there thinking, well, you know, this guy's just stood me up. Oh well, I'll stay in Sydney for three or four days and go home. And I turned my phone on because. Remember, like phones back then, they weren't like today. They weren't smartphones. They no, were bricks, basically. No, and I turned my phone on, and as soon as I did, it rang, and it was him. And he said, I am so sorry. There's been a major traffic jam. I'm on my way. And you believed him. And well, I did believe yeah. him. And then about five minutes later, there he was. There he was. And, yeah, and we've been in ever since. the rest is history. Yep. Yeah, and we don't want to know about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's a great relationship. Like, yeah. Right. So yeah. some people can have happy marriages. Well, you do. Last Decades uh, long. A friend of mine who's Wonderful. 60s had some terrible relationships in her life, has just met the love of her life. I actually interviewed him last Hang week. Hang in there. Keep trying. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I, 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 I'm an honorary father, so I just checked him out and I said, oh, I think he's all right. I think he's all right. But you're right. And I just met, bang. It was like that. That's bang. nice. Yeah, it's like in your situation. Mm. So why come to Melbourne? We're halfway through the show as well. Really? Oh, my goodness. We should just remind people. Uh, (laughs) All right. This is Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR. We're streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program of Donna is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. And she is a bit of a chatterbox, but we will get there. (laughs) You're an easy guest. You get, you get some people sit there and you need a crowbar to open They're their nervous. mouth. They're nervous. They're nervous. No, you just, they're just dull. No, they're not <laughs> dull. Yeah. You just need to, yeah, maybe sometimes like just give him a glass of wine first or something. Like, <laughs> no, don't no. ever do that with me. We will not wine, get me There out. is a wine bar next door. <laughs> I went there and I got coffee. It's great coffee. Yeah, yeah, very is, good drinks. Is, yeah, yeah, very expensive very wine. Nice. But uh, good3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June. We need your financial support to be independent, community-controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon keeps the station radical and enables us to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. 3CR Radiothon, show your support during June 2023. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. Hello, this is a short message from 3CR. We're a community radio station, and right now we're seeking community donations so that we can keep the station going. Please consider what you can donate to help us stay on air. Full details at 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. Enjoy your podcast. So when did you come to Melbourne? We moved to Melbourne in, we got married in um, 2002 and in October and we moved to Melbourne two months after, Why? two months so later. So did your husband go to Perth to be with you or? No, I moved over to Sydney. You moved to yeah. Sydney. His job couldn't be done in anywhere but Sydney or Melbourne. Now mm. he, he works for a very large telco I won't name just in case, I don't know, I'm probably. No, 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 don't, don't, don't name them please. Um, yeah. And um, yeah. they changed because remember this is the days where the internet was beginning to become a household name. So mm. they split their 
Telstra. Don't, don't, com- don't, don't, don't say tell, too much, tell please. Telcom and internet <laughs> services apart. Okay, good. And uh, the job that he did, because um, it used to be done in Sydney, and when they divided everything, mm. the job that he did moved to Melbourne, and it was a case of, well, you can stay in Sydney and do oh. something that you're way too qualified for, right. or move to Melbourne and do your job there. So we decided to move to Melbourne, well, and, and we've uh, been here ever since, yeah, December in tw- 2002. And obviously with the three... Four boys, it's a, a handful, and then well, they, the three youngest ones weren't born then. We oh, only well, had the two oldest ones, yeah. yeah. So, the youngest ones are all born in Melbourne, oh, the youngest oh, three, yeah, mm. yeah. So, that would have taken up a bit of your time, yeah. <laughs> well, they're pretty close together in age. I mean, the oldest, the oldest two, um, they were much older. The, the youngest, my second son was 13 before mm. um, his younger brother was born. But the youngest three are only there's four years between eldest to youngest. Right. And when did you um, kind of get your little flying wings, your little probationary wings in terms of doing things in this city of ours? So when did I start the charity, do you mean? Like no, 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 no. When or? did you start thinking there's more to life than rearing kids and... I guess I wasn't thinking that. With When my younger son was born, he was mm. very unwell. We both were. Right. And he started life with a lot of challenges. And right. from having four sons previously, and we were also foster parents for a while, so I had a lot of other people's babies and a lot of nieces and nephews and cousins, and I knew that this little guy needed extra help. And um, so I actually stayed. When he was born, I actually took uh, – I was on maternity leave, but – I stayed out of the workforce for about five years because right. he needed a lot of therapy and a lot mm-hmm. of support. Right. What, what type of therapy? So he had to have occupational therapy, speech therapy, um, psychology, and um, he w- he attended a um, a learning centre in um, what was it in Preston, I think. Oh, Bundura, Bundura. in Bundura. Yep. And we live way way out west, so right. it was a long hike every day to, is, to get yeah. out there. And when he first started school, he goes to a special school, and he started school when he was five and a half, and at that point, that's when I rejoined the workforce, but for a completely different organisation. I worked for government, but right. in one sector, and I moved to a completely different organisation mm. when Jay went to school. Right. And, um, yeah, so I was really focused on mm. uh, his health and had a lot of health challenges. He had a lot so, of other so, challenges. So his, his education was the old Jane Field down there at Bandura? No. No. No, no, it wasn't. He was part of a pilot project through right. um, the UC Davis um, in California right. that they ran here at um, La Trobe University in Bandura and through the uh, Royal Children's Hospital. Do you think it made a difference? Huge, huge, huge. difference, yeah. How, how? He Because it was early intervention, which was what he needed, and he joined there two days after his second birthday, and he was there five days a week with all of the allied health on hand. Like they didn't just have their once a week appointment. They were observed by speech therapists and occupational therapists and by the Children's Hospital and by um, the UC Davis University um, in California. So they were able to watch and observe all of his behaviours and see how um, the progress was happening in real time right. rather than look back, you know, six months mm, later. They right, could actually. Yeah. So it made a huge difference. difference. And um, the mm. government funded one of these centres in every capital city at the time. So we were really lucky to be the first ones to access it right. in Victoria. Oh, so, yeah. Well, that's good. 
How did you get a hold of that, Donna? When Jay was diagnosed, um, he was diagnosed with autism um, before his second birthday. So it was he was 18 months old and he mm. was the autism was so severe and he was regressing at such a fast rate that they pretty much diagnosed him on the spot. It's very rare to get a diagnosis that young, but mm. he had regressed quite considerably. So I literally sat up every night Googling everything and I sent emails off everywhere and I'm pretty sure I even emailed the builders that were building the centre at one point. Mm. At that stage, the centre that Jay went to wasn't even built. built yeah. It wasn't even built. So he started mm. in the July after. Well, so if it wasn't for you, it wouldn't have happened. Wouldn't. No, I just... It's I, that simple. Mm. Yeah. So many nights didn't get how, how did How did the other kids feel about all the attention? Because sometimes you find that in this situation that if you've got one child that has got major difficulties, other, some of the other children feel a little bit left out. Well, studies have actually shown that kids uh, who are siblings of children with um, disabilities actually become more compassionate and resilient mm. as adults. Mm. But how did, how did they cope? That's the case. They didn't know any different right. because they're like when um, my, my son, who's 19 now, he was only four when Joe was born. And my other son was two. Right. So there was no, like, they just welcomed this little guy. And we didn't know for two years that, well, 18 months, that we knew that Jay was unwell and we knew mm. that he had a lot of health challenges. And mm. it just became part of our family life. Yes, so, yes. It's, you know, the, the child that has these extra needs in your family doesn't stand out in your family. They just become part of your family and you part work of, around. Part of everyday life. Part yeah. of everyday. It's like if yeah, you have a child diagnosed yeah. with a, a, an illness and they need extra support, it just yes. becomes part of what the family does. Oh, well, that's excellent. So when did you start to have a bit of free time? I still don't. No, no, <laughs> no. In terms of you had some time to do things outside <laughs> work in the family. Um, I really don't know because I went as soon as Jay was in school, uh, well, as soon as he started prep, I went straight back to work. I started mm-hmm. work, I think, in, in the February or March right. that he um, started school. So I was back to work full time and um, I am still working full time. So. All right. Well, that's the yeah. end of the interview then. <laughs> it's all the, all the bits in between then and now, though. Well, that's what I want to know yeah. about. So how did it yeah. all start? So um, being a First Nations person, the organisation that I was working for, I worked in HR and I looked after all of our um, Indigenous employees and, and made sure that the mm. culture was represented must, in must the workspace. Must be a big organisation. Very if big. It, if it's got Indigenous employees. Very big. We had yeah. quite a few, a couple of hundred. Right. And we had a conference held in Sydney where we actually flew all of the... Um, employees into uh, Sydney and we had a, a conference there um, talking about what how we wanted our culture represented in in workspace and uh, back then I used to do a lot of running a lot of jogging was you know keep my my body healthy my mind clear it was that was the one thing that I had just for me and so I got up one morning went for a jog around we're at Darling Harbour went for a jog around there uh, came across what I initially thought was a body um, uh, there was a man asleep on a park bench. He, it was freezing cold. It was bitterly cold. I remember thinking that I'd been running for about 15 minutes and I hadn't taken my jumper off yet. Normally you run, you take your jumper off, tie it around your waist and keep going. And I saw this man and, and he was just wearing a pair of jeans. He had like a windsheeter on, no socks. And he was, was facing... Was he elderly, young? No, he would have been probably about early to mid-20s, right. I would think. Yeah, mm-hmm. very, quite a, quite a thin guy. Mm-hmm. And he had his back to me. He was sort of curled on this bench. And I stopped like dead in my tracks looking at him. And I thought that I'd found a body. And remember, I didn't live in Sydney at this point. So I didn't know what to do. And then he was breathing. And I saw that he was breathing. And I realised that he's just asleep. 
And then a thousand things will go through your head in a split second at that point. And I remember thinking, if he's asleep in this weather and it's freezing cold, he's either been awake for days and he's finally fallen asleep or he's taken something and he's fallen asleep. And I don't think he wants me to wake him up. Because I was quite happy to give him the keys to my hotel and just say, look, go have a shower, warm yourself up, I'll meet you in the foyer, go get you some clothes. What year was this, Donna? This just out of curiosity. 2015. Mm-hmm. 2015. And uh, a year before that, my eldest son and I had started this homeless support group on uh, Facebook. What, what, why a homeless support group? The work that I was doing for government prior to when I went back to work um, when Jay was six was supporting people who had significant barriers to employment and a lot of those people had disabilities, mental health issues, uh, prison release, Indigenous and a lot of people experiencing homelessness. So I knew a lot of these services that were out there because I'd been referring people to them. Now Chris left Melbourne, went over to Perth, did some volunteer work with a group called Perth Homeless Support Group, realised there's no equivalent in Melbourne, made this Facebook group that still runs today, still very active, made me an admin of it and then mm. got full-time work the next day and very rarely came back, back. to the group. But the group flourished well, and it grew. Why, that's why you're a mum. Yeah. <laughs> so the group flourished, it grew. It's mm. got um, close to 8,000 members now right. in it. And uh, so when I saw this fellow in Sydney, mm-hmm. didn't know what to do, I went back to the group and I said, look, I saw this, this situation in Sydney. I know that Melbourne is even colder. I just want to collect some blankets and sleeping bags and uh, if I do that, are there any organisations out there that could use them? And two organisations put their hand up and in we created another Facebook page and in eight weeks we got 3,500 blankets and sleeping bags and delivered every single one of them. You and delivered every, every single, single one. one. What do you mean you delivered every single That's well, a lot of deliveries. It is a lot of deliveries. We would spend seven to eight hours. So what we did was we asked people to be drop-off points around right. Melbourne. I knew right. I'm, I started to think what would make me donate a blanket and what would stop me? What are the barriers? This is mm. my job. What are the barriers to me right. doing this? And it had to be accessible, it had to be easy to do, it had to be close by. So we got people to be drop-off points. Uh, we had 80 different drop-off points in right. different suburbs of Melbourne. Yep. Uh, you could find about three locals. So people would then message the page, I've got some blankets, and we'd put them in touch with one of the three people. These are the people, contact them and organise to drop the blankets off. And then every weekend we'd hitch up the trailer and we would go to all the drop-off points and collect all the blankets and sleeping bags, contact organisations that needed them, like a lot of them went to Salvation Army and a lot of them went to crisis accommodation services and we delivered all of them. Some of them went to the Lost Dogs Home because some of them weren't fit for for Mm. people to be near them. And, um, but yeah, we delivered all of them. That's interesting, isn't it? It's a perennial problem, isn't it? Oh, yes. People donate stuff and it's really not fit for human oh, cons- that's consumption. A whole other show. <laughs> no, 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 it's just it's extraordinary. People just aren't don't think that they're dealing with another human being. They they, they don't. And there's this mentality of beggars can't be choosers and we wish yeah. people would stop that. One, don't refer to people as beggars. Mm. People have fallen on hard times and they need support. They're not mm. beggars. Mm. And why should they not have choice? Why should they not be treated with dignity? Mm. And why should they not be afforded things that are nice simply because they are on the streets or they um, they're they're having a hard time. Yeah. It was, some of the things that we got donated were. Um, am I allowed to swear on this show? Of course, of yeah, course, great. Of course. So I used to have this collection of things that I would call shit people give to the homeless. And when I would do a lot of talks at university schools, things like that, corporates, I would take this bag of stuff along with me and show people the shit that we had delivered that people wanted us to pass on because it was. Give us some examples. 
Oh, so there was a half-used box of um, Aspro Clear that expired 10 years earlier. 10 that years was early. one of them. Right. The uh, the tr- what we call used to call it the triple threat was a um, it was an open used expired tube of KY jelly which is personal lubricant oh, right. that someone had donated that they thought someone on the street might want. Oh, I mean, right. come on, come that's on. just offensive. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and it happens. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. was this other yeah. tub of something called boracic acid. I think Whoa, not boracic yeah. acid. Boracic Ooh. acid. What is now, that? You don't want to know. It, it was some kind of antiseptic, like you boil it. That's and right. You put yeah, it in yeah, a bandage no, and you put it no. on a wound. 19th no. century medicine. The company that made this stuff went out of production in 1976. It's, yeah. That's when they stopped producing this. Because it was dangerous. So I don't know I'm familiar with how it, yeah. old this tub was. So someone's obviously, you know, yeah. great nana's passed away. They've gone into her bathroom. She's no, been hoarding this what, what, for years. The reason I raise it is it does show a mentality. Oh, yeah. That you kind of... You can give people things that are really not up we were, to scratch. We were know? the rubbish dump for people. Yeah. The clothing yeah. that we got, you know, yeah. no zippers in them, rips, tears, um, yeah. covered in sad. mud, yeah. oil, and completely unusable. And people yes. just decided that they would give them to us so we would get rid of them. I remember our first year rubbish bill, and before we knew what we were doing, yes. first year rubbish bill was over $2,000 yeah. for us to get rid, rid of, of all it. the crap right. that we'd been donated. So, and, yeah. And it's a perennial thing. You, you go past one of these stalls, you know, opportunity shops, and you go past and it's full of garbage at the front, you know, is it people because yeah. it's so expensive to dump things, they think it's a exe- dump it in front of an you opportunity You know what we shop. did to get out of that? What did you do? We Come had, on. We started an op shop in Brunswick East yep. called the Carla Space. We employed women. What's exp- it called? It's not running anymore, well, but it was called the Carla Space. The yep. Carla Space. Carla, K-A-L-A, yeah. Mm. And we would employ women experiencing homelessness to work there and it was mm. basically you got paid for the hours that you did. And you didn't get fired if you didn't come in. So right. homelessness is chaotic, So, yeah. which we understood. Mm. But we would only take items for donation when by appointment. And we actually got people to sit there while we went through everything. And right. if it wasn't sellable, we would give it back to them. Yeah. Now, two things that did, it stopped all the junk from coming in, but it also allowed us to see some incredibly beautiful things that were donated and thank people for it. For it yes. And we saw the stories behind right. the clothing. I remember yeah. this man came in with his beautiful summer dress and he said it was his wife's. And, and I said to him, like, is she sure she wants to donate this? Like, it's gorgeous. He said, she wants to. He goes, but he goes, it's my favourite dress of hers. I love it. Yeah. And he goes, I don't really want her to donate it, but she wants to donate it. So when we sold it, I actually told the person this mm. dress was donated by mm-hmm. a lady who didn't really want it anymore, but her husband thought she was actually absolute vision in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were able to thank people for their kindness. And mm-hmm. people sort of said to us, oh, you're judging us for what we're dropping off. No, no, no. We're just stopping that problem of getting donations mm. that are not usable, wasting donated money on rubbish removal. People mm. don't give us money to spend on rubbish removal. No. And if you're going to come and donate something to us, it has to be something we can sell. We're not your rubbish tip. Yeah. So what type of activities are you now currently involved in? So at the moment, there is, um, there's been a huge shift around period poverty. Right. And a lot of people are talking about that at Hang the on. moment. Could- Explain what you just said. Yeah. So we started the second charity that we started after the sleeping bags and blankets. Um, mind you, we stopped collecting blankets. They're not good for the streets. Only sleeping bags are. We started the period project. So I was outside Flinders Street Station one night delivering sleeping bags and there was a young lady there who called me over, um, very discreetly asked me if I had any pads or tampons and I didn't. And um, she 
said, look, I've got my period right now. I literally can't move. I'm sitting here on this mm. pavement. So I asked her what she wanted. I went and bought it for her, gave it back to her, and she immediately burst into tears and said that she had a visit with her children the next day. She'd been um, released from prison, mm. and she had a visit with her kids the next day. That If she had gone and stolen those products and got caught, that visit would never happen. That's right. She didn't have a choice, though. She was either going to have to steal money or steal the product or use something inappropriate. Um, to manage that. Mm. And at that point, we realised, okay, I remember asking her, is there anything available, you know, for this? And she said no. So I did a bit of researching. There was nothing. So on the back of all the support of those 80 drop-off points that we had with the um, blanket project, I said to them, look, there's this other issue and we need to support people with experiencing period poverty. And every single one of those drop-off points said, I want to help. And we ended up with, I think it was over 180 drop-off points um, mm-hmm. After we started the Melbourne Period Project Facebook page, everyone came on board. The problem was far more widespread than I had even thought about. It, you know, people would come to me and apologise and say, I'm so sorry, I never thought of this. I thought, well, neither did I. And I've worked with people experiencing disadvantage yes. for years and years. Mm-hmm. I come mm-hmm. from a family of four girls and mm-hmm. a mum. You know, yeah. I'm female and I didn't think of it either. So um, together with the community, we created the Melbourne Period Project, which then ended up being pretty much Australia-wide period project. We still send items off to um, remote Indigenous communities, um, other cities and towns, um, you know, pretty much weekly. Mm. And how, how, how do you access the items? Are they, they donated? or you? All donated. Right. Some of them are donated by organisations and some of them are donated by the public. Sometimes people donate money. Mm. When we first started, there was the GST on tampons. Oh, that's exactly right. Yeah. And we fought to get rid of that. We so managed. you were part of that movement. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. We that was very hard. It was a long, drawn-out fight. But that's once right. we had the internet, once we had Facebook, we mm. had a voice. Mm. Prior to that, we only had the same media that everyone else had in that. Yeah. You know, that that's a very controlled in, environment. It is, yes. And when you've got Facebook, you've pretty much got freedom of speech and you can get the word out there and things Mm. can go viral as we know Mm. so we started the period project we started to fight back against the tampon tax that got abolished and then we started to arc up a lot about period poverty and started to let politicians know you know could you you, being a bloke (laughs) could you explain black and white what is what does the term period poverty mean it's what it means is people not having access to appropriate, adequate, affordable menstruation management right, products. Right, and so, and so it's it's a thing about economy. It's about people having to make choices whether they eat or they have a roof over their heads, whether their kids eat or whether they buy. It's about right. it's about the economy. It's about accessibility right. as well. well so well, why accessibility? Because often, if you're experiencing poverty, you can go to an organisation that mm. might give you um, items. They might not be appropriate. So there are a lot of um, cultures, religions where women right. can't use certain products. Right. So it might be okay for someone to say, "Hey, look, I've donated a box of tampons, but you can't use them." No. Or if you've got people who haven't had education on how to safely use products, so that they don't get infections, or right. um, so that the products aren't misused. Because because they do have um, pamphlets on how to use them, but it's not as easy just picking it up and reading it if you can't read English. That's right. So mm. it's about accessibility to be able to use the products that you choose to use that are appropriate for you, mm-hmm. and it's about affordability as well. So it has to be appropriate, affordable, and accessible. 
And so period poverty is so much more than just provision of products. It goes way, way deeper than that. When we first started the period project, we realised there had been zero studies done into the effects of being unable to manage a period when you're within your own culture. There's been hundreds of studies done on what it's like to visit another culture and having to change the way that you manage a period. But there was zero done on what happens when, you know, if I'm born in Melbourne and I live in Melbourne and I've been able to manage period certain way, but then all of a sudden I can't. What psychological effects does it happen? Nobody had ever studied that. But this is what we were seeing with homelessness and, and poverty. People had not been removed from their culture but could not manage their menstruation the way that they had always known about. And that caused a lot of psychological issues for, yeah. uh, for people yeah. and you know, ongoing. So we were providing we, – we started what we call a period pack and it had – everything that people need for menstrual management if they didn't have a bathroom. So you've got to remember that it's more than just the product. You've got to have, how do you dispose of the used product? You can't just throw it in a bush. You can't just go and get a bin when it's two o'clock in the morning and it's not safe to be walking around. Um, How do you clean up after? All those sorts of things were what Mm. we, um, and we would put a whole lot of different products into the, packet so that call it a period pack so that people could choose which which ones they wanted and, and how did you distribute them or well, how are you distributing them we got in touch with so one of the things we do is walk the streets and just see if we can find people that need them mm-hmm. uh, but we got in touch with a lot of organizations that because we were one small team so we could not reach everybody no and so we got in touch with the same organisations that were distributing the blankets and the sleeping bags and said to them, this is something we can now offer. Do you want it? And they were, absolutely, definitely we need this. So I remember one housing organisation, They, I think their first order with us was seven large packing boxes with like 400 period yeah, packs or something. Right. And they just went through them instantly because mm-hmm. it was – You know, back then the tax was on them as well. That's right. And it was just so hard. And there's also the social stigma as well. Um, A lot of, in in some cultures, women weren't actually allowed out to go to the shops themselves and and get these things. So it it was foreign to them to buy them Mm. as well. So we had to do a lot of educating as well with the organisations that we were giving them to, that were distributing them. So it was far more than just the provision of these products and we realized that it was a, it was a really big issue mm. and we still run the period project today wow. it's in uh, the only place we don't run it is in western australia because um there is an organization there called essentials for women who are doing amazing work mm-hmm. and kind of just they've been inspired by what you they actually started before us believe it or not yeah so they started 12 months before us but we didn't mm. know of each other until no. after we started someone sent them a message and said hey these guys are doing this in melbourne wow. and we got in touch and um, mm. the South Australia chapter of theirs ended up joining us as right. well. And, uh, yeah, and that was 2015, so we're talking mm. eight years ago now. now. Good on you, Donna. Thank you. Legend. Now we've got about five minutes. This has gone fast. Of course it goes fast now. This is, this is the hard sell now. <laughs> if by some chance one of the listeners out there or even two of the three listeners out there is interested in assisting do you accept volunteers we definitely accept volunteers but there's a bit of a catch to it Mm -hmm. so we want people to volunteer but again we want you to understand why are you volunteering Mm -hmm. what is important about volunteering with our organization so we do what we call a has it's a homeless awareness session Mm -hmm. so we are located in airport west Right. And we have uh, area you've, upstairs. You've got a physical presence. Yeah, 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 yeah. We have a physical. It's an office upstairs, and the um, the warehouse is downstairs. We also right. do clothing. We do 
Um, we've, we've got a project right. called the School Project. We provide school bags, uh, camp right. pack swimming bags okay. to kids experiencing well, we've homelessness. We've got somebody there waving, saying, I'm so, interested. Someone's tell us Tell us how you separate the wheat from the chaff. If they go to the uh, our website. Which is uh, what? It's nhcollective.org.au. Again, slowly. nhcollective.org.au. So yep. NH for National Homeless yep. Collective. So yep. nhcollective.org.au. And there's a, um, a button there that they can press to, um, to volunteer. Mm. We have – the thing that people don't get about charities is we don't make any money. No. But we have rent to pay. We have lights to pay. We have fuel to pay. We have all of these other things that we mm. need to pay. So we do a lot of community barbecues to pay for that. We just did one at Bunnings in Coburg. Right. And there, that's when we need volunteers. Come and help us flip some sausages and, you know, come out on yep. the weekend with us and yep. that will pay for the bags that we make the period packs mm. in or for us to run the electricity mm. for that month or pay the rent mm. on the building. Are you, are you a registered tax deductible? We, uh, we are, yes. You are. So, so with tax time coming on the 30th of June... We desperately need donations and we are right. fully tax deductible. Right. If you go to our website and donate, you will get your receipt instantly as right. well. If you want to make a, um, a bank deposit, mm-hmm. all you need to do is go on and um, you just click contact us and it'll come through there. And I, I get those actual emails, so it'll right. be info at NH Collective, but it comes right. to me. And if you've got some boring elderly people like me who don't use the net... Is there any mechanism? Is there a f- an address, a physical address, a post office box or a phone number they can ring? Yeah, there's a phone number. Oh, gosh, I'm not sure if the phone number is on the website because we kept getting crunked. We can sort that out later <laughs> yeah. on the web page. Yeah. yeah, we can put the contact details up. Yeah, because uh, some of our listeners are quite elderly. They don't want to go down the you know the, the digital pathway in yeah, the virtual un- world. Yeah, understandable. And, and you've got to understand that old people, some have money. Yes. More so than kids we with hex debts. Yeah. <laughs> So what would your running costs be per month, do you reckon? Well, our rent alone is 2000 a month. Right. And we have um, – I, I, I actually am not as involved with the bill paying no, at no, all. But, no, no, yeah. But you, you're probably looking at about probably four to five k a month, right. I would think. So. Do, do you get any Commonwealth Government support? Or Nothing. Sta- no, Nothing. We're, we're 100% we were 100% public run. So we right. rely on the donations from the public. And um, we have had in the past some philanthropists donate some money. And, uh, of course, because we run the other projects, like the school project, it, it often goes pretty quickly. But yeah. 100% of it goes back into the project. Well, the beauty run. is that you, if your public is supported, it means the government can't tell you what to do. Exactly. And that is why we mobilise faster than every other charity out there. So as soon as there's a crisis, as mm-hmm. soon as there's, as soon as soon um, the towers went into lockdown during COVID, mm. we were there within two hours with right. trucks full of nappies and formula for right. people Excellent. because we don't have to mm. have a meeting about it and, right. you know, mm. all band together and get help out there in six weeks' time. We're there in mm. two hours you've, you've got a gong for all this stuff, haven't you, Donna? A gong. An, an award. Oh, yeah. I keep forgetting about that, and that's really bad of me to say that. But, yeah, I was the um, 2021 Victorian Australian of the Year. Yeah, but what they so. say, what they say is all the people who get the gongs, they say, it's not just me. And that's it's the exactly whole organisation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the face that was on the, on the right. team. Yeah, congratulations, congratulations, nevertheless. <laughs> but, again, again, it, it was, is an honour. It yeah. is, but it was an initiative. That's the key. The thing is somebody's got to start it, and you started it, and that's, that's the wonderful thing about it. Look, it's been a pleasure having you in here, Donna. Thank you so much. That's gone so fast. It's been wonderful. But the thing is, this young person here, Kelly, she's going to put it. She's going to podcast it. You can put it on your site. 
and uh, hopefully we'll get some donations for you. That would be wonderful. Yeah, that would be great. Because money is what you need, more so than volunteers, it sounds. Money is what we need. Mm. We do need volunteers. We also really focus on community education yes. as well. So even if people mm. want to come in and do the homeless awareness session, yep. we debunk a lot of the myths around homelessness. It's not yeah. what you think it is. You know, Generally, it's not what people think oh, it, it is. It, it, and the it causes isn't of just, homelessness. is isn't just lazy old people who who, who, who want to stay in, in, in the open. Oh, you know, people sort of go, oh, yeah, they choose to be out there like that. I mean, exactly. would you choose that? Seriously, exactly. to sit out on the cold concrete every day? Who would choose that? Exactly. Nobody. It's an awful way to live. Thank you very much, Donna. All the best to you, hopefully, and to your children and your husband, the poor suffering man. <laughs> and... Uh, all power to okay. you. Thank All you power so to you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Kelly. Thank you, Donna. You're a legend. Thank you. Stay tuned, stay radical. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2023. To donate, call the station 0394198377 19 or donate online 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2023. Stay tuned, stay radical.
Did you enjoy listening to that podcast? 3CR is a community radio station, and you, the listener, are a part of that community. Right now, it's our Radiothon. We need you to pitch in with a few dollars to keep the station going. We can't do it without you. It's easy. Head to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. Your donations really matter.